This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. There he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! And now, it's time for Coach Hog's Locker Room. Good morning, good morning. Professor Ward Scott here now is Coach Hogg for the next uh, few minutes of the show. I'm broadcasting from the Wardog Command Center, the Manly Command Center here inside the Melton Law Studio. Melton Law with 50 years of experience and uh, they're the only official law firm partner of the Florida Gators. The Melton Law won't back down. We're protected by crime prevention. You can worry less with crime prevention security systems. Contact them at cpss.net. And um, Maurice T. McDaniel, who is the custodian of our uh, mugshots. So uh, we recommend you uh, pay attention to these sponsors we have. We have R&R Construction, great people. Everybody in construction is really busy now. Shoot GTRs here with us, uh, a range that I like to shoot at and um, practice my skills with my friends. And of course, um, the official barber of the show, if you will, official stylist of the show is uh, David Ratliff at Style Cuts. So, um, and on the spot dry cleaners, you've got to patronize them. They are absolutely par excellence. They'll do the best job possible. And you tell them I sent you, and they'll take special care of you, I'm sure. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about here locally. But first of all, I want to talk about the way in which, uh, <clears throat> well, you know, when I was a kid, uh, let me back it up this way. My father was a big wrestling fan. And uh, as a wrestling fan, of course, uh, we all knew it was fixed, uh, I guess. I, I, by that, we mean it was real drama. It was um, theatrics. And not to take anything away from these athletes who were wrestlers. I mean, these guys are jumping off the top of ring ropes and, and doing somersaults and mashing each other and slinging each other out of the ring and everything. I mean, you had to be able to take that. And, of course, they did. Uh, and it drew big crowds. And I remember some of the people those days that my father used to like. He took me down as a little kid to watch wrestling with him uh, at the downtown big wrestling uh, area, whatever you call it, uh, convention hall or whatever. But there was one lady who was always tickled us. So it was also televised. And uh, her name was Bouncing Beulah. And Bouncing Beulah would sit in the front row uh, by, right by the ring. And she would jump up out of her seat and run over and stick her head under the lower ring rope and pound on the mat when the bad guy in the drama was cheating when he tried to pin the good guy. And the bad guy would cheat by yanking on the, um, the skivvies, if you will, the trunk of the good guy and holding him unfairly, his shoulders against the uh, mat. And the and referee would always act as if he couldn't see that. And then he start to count and he'd blap one and he'd blap two. And Bouncing Beulah would get up and blap, blap, blap until, of course, the referees looked over at Bouncing Beulah and then had to start to count all over again. 
And of course, the bad guy would release his hand on the good guy's uh, trunks, if you will. And uh, when the ref looked around, and of course, as soon as the ref went back to counting, the bad guy would yank on the good guy's trunks again and cheat. And then Bouncing Beulah would pound on the ring mat and pound and pound. And this went on. It was a huge draw. <clears throat> the wrestling uh, arena was filled with people. This was in a northern city where my father's home at, uh, construction office uh, was located. It was an international construction company, but the home office was there. And uh, it was a big city, so it had a pretty big draw. And <laughs> we all knew it was phony, but it was high drama. And phony by, you know, not that the collisions were phony, and but just the, 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 the cheating, uh, you know, that, that went on was somehow worked into the drama of the, of the activity, of the sport. So now when I come to what is filling the news uh, right now, the sporting world, uh, and sooner or later it was bound to happen, and I swear there must be somebody behind all this orchestrating it because it's going to do nothing but build tickets and build sales. And if you haven't been paying attention, uh, you've got uh, Jimbo Fisher and uh, Nick Saban at each other's throats accusing each other of cheating. And it's all good. I got to tell you, it's all good for ticket sales. It will be the biggest game in the nation when Texas A&M plays Alabama in the fall because each has called the other a cheater. And, and uh, of course, it harkens back to me uh, in my young days when I'd go with the father to see Bouncing Beulah try to catch the bad guy cheating on the good guy. And it was all part of the drama and all part of the ticket sales. And it enhanced everything uh, from the bottom of the promotion uh, to the top of the promotion. And it, it really was, nevertheless, no one really cared whether uh, it was really unfair or not. It just was great drama. So it is all being sorted out now in college sports the same way, because we have got essentially uh, a good guy and a bad guy. And you can make up your mind which one is the good guy and which one's the bad guy. Of course, Fisher claims that Saban's a bad guy, that Saban's been cheating and getting away with everything from day one and never being caught. In other words, he's been holding the, 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 uh, 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 the trousers or the uh, uh, trunks of the, of the good guy wrestler. And that's the reason uh, he has enjoyed all this prominence in the national arena as a football coach. Well, and that's... Fisher, and he's got a big podium now. And of course, Saban is saying, well, come on, you know, you bought your players. And even if that were true, I don't think under NIL, it's any, you can't do it. You can buy players. That's literally what it's all about, is buying players. And, and Saban's trying to take the moral high ground. There is so little moral authority left in this world uh, that I've titled the show today, In Search of Moral Authority. I don't know who is holier than thou anymore and what is uh, right and what is wrong. Uh, and it doesn't seem to matter as long as it creates a hoopla. And that's what was going on with Bouncing Beulah. Uh, some of the wrestlers in, I remember, were uh, Don Eagle was one of them who has a, a mohawk haircut or whatever down the middle. That was He was a big one, Don Eagle. And I remember some of the others. But... Um, Oh, that was just a little kid then. 
And, and, and I never really took up that as a, as a fascination in adult life, although I have a lot of respect for wrestlers. And even those pro wrestlers, those guys are, are tough guys. So the drama is what sells the tickets. Now, so we've got now my, more, my position today is that wrestling morality has now overtaken college football. And it's going to get nasty, but it's going to be good for ticket sales. Now, I suggest to you that if our uh, uh, really uh, 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 good guy that we've got here now, he's billed as a good guy. And he's been quiet on all this, this current coach that we've got for football. And he hasn't chimed in. And he probably shouldn't because he's not big enough in the dogfight to really make much difference. He, if he is getting that players by uh, however he can get them through the NIL, which is name, image, and likeness. And name, image, and likeness literally means find a booster who'll buy the kid a car. Uh, he needs to keep quiet about it. But we've got to coach uh, HBC, as he's now called, the head ball coach. Um, and um, uh, back in the college days, we always called him Orr. Orr is his middle name. And we'd say, hey, Orr. Uh, but nobody seems to have picked that up. And he probably would prefer to be known as Steve. But um, uh, HBC has even supposedly made a comment about it. I looked at the comment. It's rather controlled. It's not um, uh, in any way pointing fingers at either one of them. Uh, although to say, he does say, uh, Spurrier does say that he can't remember when Saban was called on the carpet for dirty recruiting, no matter where he's been. And he's been at several colleges. And uh, the HBC says, if he were really a, a nasty under the table kind of recruiter, it should have, it would have come out, should have, would have, could have come out by now and never has. So any of the accusations by Fisher are really out of line and untrue. So we have the ambassador of football here at Florida, which is Steve Spurrier, able to say these things. But I got to tell you that I've seen him say a lot of things about coaches. And this is one of the most measured comments I've seen him make. He really doesn't come out with any exclamatory um, conversations about them. Uh, he's mostly just observing that uh, some of the facts that if Saban had been what Fisher uh, accuses him of being, uh, then uh, he would have been no doubt caught by now. So, uh, and Steve's most famous comment probably got a lot of attention is when the library burnt down in Auburn and he said, uh, um, they were all, uh, some, uh, the, when the books burn up, not all of them have been colored. Um, uh, some of the things like that he was really good at, something like that. I kind of didn't get his exact quote right. But uh, uh, this is about in the, out in the Wall Street Journal now, and it's uh, going to make its headlines. And that's all good in a paradoxical way for college football. Now, the nastier it gets, the more crowd you're going to bring in. Um, way back in his early days, William Faulkner, when he was writing for the Times-Picayune out of New Orleans, had a, an article he published in the Times-Picayune that I ran across one day when I was in the stacks at the University of Florida research uh, floor. And it was a, a, a newspaper article, and the title of it by Faulkner was Innocent at the Hockey Rink. And what Faulkner was writing about is he had never been to a hockey uh, match before. He couldn't understand why all the violence was sanctioned. You know, in hockey, they slam each other and uh, they fight and the referees stand back and let them fight. All that's good for ticket sales. It all is engaging. It attracts the, uh, 
And now in the NBA, it really spills over into interaction, not uncommonly, between the audience and the actual players, because in the NBA, uh, the audience can be right down there on the floor with the NBA. You've seen instances of where players from the NBA have waded into the stands against a heckler and vice versa. It's all good for ticket sales. You don't want anything out there. It's kind of like talk radio. You can't be or talk podcast like I'm doing now. You can't be just some nice, bland guy and have anybody listen to you. Uh, they listen to you because you take on the controversial issues that everybody else is afraid to take up. And they tune in because, by golly, if I want to know, oh, Ward Scott, I'll say it. And it's, it's just, um, I was explaining my, my character to somebody the other day. You know, you're looking at a guy who has been a professional troublemaker, right? Uh, according to, I'm even in the court records now. As, uh, that, as such. And I'm going to go over that with you in a moment. But uh, that's nothing new to me. I mean, uh, you know, I always ask questions. And if you ask questions and people don't want to give the answers, they must be hiding something. I, I always like to tell you that story when I was a little kid and we'd been eating homemade bread and I was five years old and already knew how good it was. And along to the uh, class one day to talk to us was a lady from Sunbeam Bread. And, you know, Sunbeam Bread was just white and we put it in our mouth and it would just decay in the sugar. And so I asked my, and it had enriched on the side. I had the word enriched. And so she was talking about how that white bread was enriched. And so I raised my hand and said, well, if you take all the good stuff out of the bread, why do you call it enriched? Well, I got in trouble for that. That was the first time I remember asking a question uh, that made the guest uncomfortable. And the teacher in my kindergarten class said, don't ask questions that make people uncomfortable. Well, I haven't ever changed. And you have to ask these uncomfortable questions if you're gonna to get to anything. Otherwise, people are not going to rat on themselves or uh, you know, make any kind of spectacle of themselves if they get in the way with something or they're trying to get away with something. So uh, I think this is gonna be good for college football. Yeah, we're recruiting players, and we're, now they're able to make payments in cash in their name, image, and likeness. Hey, the NCAA let this happen. So I guess if I were a coach, I'd be out there too. I mean, you know, here's – you know, here's a, I remember one time we had a basketball player who shall remain unnamed here who came, and um, um, the basketball coach, I'll, I'll remain unnamed too, uh, said at a booster fundraiser, how many uh, – of you all have a, a fireplace. And what, you know, some of the people in the audience had a fireplace, some of them didn't. And he said, well, this recruit's father uh, um, is a pulp water. And so every one of you is going to have a fireplace, whether you got one or not. And every one of you is going to have uh, firewood delivered to your house, whether you got a fireplace or not. Well, <clears throat> we joke about that. Was that cheating? Well, I don't know. Maybe it was an early version of name, image, and likeness. It's a true story. And, and, and it's um, pretty much the way things were. If you look at it from the NCAA's point of view, why um, they decided to just go ahead and legitimize what had been going all along. And that's basically what Fisher said. You know, before name, image, and likeness, Saban was doing this kind of stuff all along. Well, uh, the HBC comes along and says if that were the case, you would have been found out by now. Well, I guess so. You know, it's, um, you know, nobody ever found out that you had a, didn't have a fireplace, you got wood. So there's a lot of gray areas. So now there are no gray areas. It's out in the open. Um, 
you you can uh, you know it's gonna it's gonna be uh, you know let her rip and and, uh, and uh, we're not gonna have a bouncing Beulah banging on the mat hollering cheating because uh, cheating is gonna be kind of difficult to even conceptualize. Um, you know, it's going to be who has the edge, who uh, has the biggest booster crowd that can reach in their pocket and write a check or provide a car or, uh, you know, develop some sort of um, rapport with the athlete, student athlete uh, through the uh, entrepreneur world that surrounds the uh, athletic squads. And of course, the big dog on the block here is going to be football. Uh, we're still trying to sort out what's going to happen to the sports like the women's sports. Uh, the women's softball team just won the regional. They're doing they're, it's exciting play. They're great athletes. They're fine. They're fine uh, uh, people who really love the sport and uh, they're exciting to watch them. And uh, are they going to have to have uh, Tim Walton going to have to have a booster? Uh, uh, you know, give a give a check to, a, to get the best pitcher. That's where you'd spend your money first of all places in women's softball. You'd spend it on the pitcher because if you got a great pitcher, you, you don't need really much else. I mean, that pitcher pretty much can shut them down. So this uh, it's it's, um, it's made it's made the big time out here in the Wall Street uh, Journal. There's also something published here um, that's kind of funny. Uh, and he, this fellow kind of sees it the way I see it, Jason Gay. He calls it the comedy of college football chaos. And he says that uh, uh, basically the same thing, I think, that the football coaches are fighting and everybody's enjoying it. And after years of denial and cognitive distances and all these things. But here's the thing. Uh, these football coaches are well compensated, as we know. Uh, they are incredibly well-paid. I, I think embarrassingly well-paid, disgustingly well-paid, but you've had to do it in order to get them to your, uh, to your uh, playground, so to speak. Otherwise, they're not coming. So the boosters buy out contracts, uh, cover for bad decisions, um, <clears throat> you know, pay up. At one time, I think we were paying, we, I say the boosters, were paying Oh, for three or four coaches that didn't pan out here, each was getting a healthy stipend on the, on his uh, paycheck, and he was all pay, uh, coaching at another school, so he was double, triple dipping, that sort of thing. So finally, um, it's um, it's it's come out that well, heck, I mean, if you guys can sh rub it in our faces, and uh, we're the players, why in the world should should we be on this deal? Why shouldn't we be in on billion dollar TV deals and because we're uh, the universities are spending zillions uh, on these cathedral-like training centers. My God, um, you know, you if you you can't compete unless you've got something as that rivals the Shangri-La uh, for just for you guys to practice in and get them out of the rain. I mean, these are these are huge. LSU has got a locker facility room out there. It's incredible. I mean, it's it's something better than the. Uh, uh, the um, people in, in, in Saudi Arabia, the princes had uh, fancy fitness rooms, locker rooms, flat screen TVs. They've been used as recruiting tools up until now. But up until now, we're just going to cut to the chase and the heck with the flat screen TV. You're going to have to have that period. But then you've got to have a deep pocket from a booster, somebody who will drop some firewood by the house 
of a guy who doesn't have a fireplace. So it's going to take a while to figure all this out. Everybody with whom I discuss this um, feels that sooner or later it's going to have to shake out and it's going to have to be some sort of regulations or something that will bring it into some sort of common sense level. Um, because, you know, let's face it, college sports, um, it will do anything it can do uh, to weaponize its, its activity. Um, they, you know, they, and, you know they, they, they got all kinds of gimmicks and ways to, to really promote and, and, and you know, they get, their, they get their leagues and then they get their television contracts and uh, the booster organizations pool their money, uh, all these things. Now they're known as collectives. They actually have an official name uh, called collectives. And, uh, and, you know, so, and also we've got transfer portals. So we've got really, it's, uh, I'm, I'm going to the highest bidder. I remember a friend of mine who uh, tried out for the uh, Washington, actually was drafted by the Washington Redskins, or of course, no longer the Redskins. They used to have a joke that when you walked into the office, big neck meant big check. So you always wanted to work on your neck circumference in the gym. So when you walked in to negotiate a contract, they took a look at your head and your shoulders. And they couldn't find a neck because it was just so broad and thick. It looked like it was shoulders. That was a joke among the recruits, big neck, big check. And now you've got uh, this whole pro mentality down here in the college, even in the high school world. And um, so this is all the influence. No longer can anyone complain really about the influence of boosters on sports because now it's the end thing to do. Um, the, uh, the name image like this uh, collectives, we've been talking about this on Coach Hogg's locker room for quite a while, but it's going to really heat up now that we've got two big wrestlers, if you will, Saban and uh, 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 our Texas A&M guy going at each other publicly and calling each other names. Even Lane Kiffin got involved in it. And uh, he, he made a joke about it. He said, boy, this is going to be uh, good to watch. You're you know, going to sell a lot of popcorn. So <clears throat> he's uh, developed, by the way, Lane Kiffin, bounced around and has developed into a, a pretty good SEC coach. So got a good pedigree. His father, of course, was the head defensive coach for the Tampa uh, Bay Pro Team. And even Deion Sanders has gotten in this. And Deion Sanders has got a big enough reputation and a big enough name uh, to be well uh, listened to. And he coaches Jackson State, and he's been accused of buying the very best recruit uh, that in the eyes of the big-time guys like uh, Saban uh, should have, and Fisher should have gone to one of them. Instead, he went to uh, Deion Sanders, Jackson State. Well, there you are. I mean, that's, that's the way it's going to be. Now, for the old-timers in sports, um, they and with whom I have lunch occasionally, um, they they can't believe what salaries have become and what uh, institutional madness has. Um, they were, of course, um, products of institutional madness in their day, at least that form of it. But it sort of had uh, handbrakes on it. It sort of had at least the illusion of restraints and decency and moral authority, if you will, a sense of right and wrong. Um, you still sort of tried to be a good student, or at least you faked it. And, and now it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. It's just, do you have any clear value uh, to winning? That as, uh, and what is the price 
we have to pay to get it. So um, it's, it's going to be a roller coaster. It's going to be something that is going to bring out, I contend, a big, a big bunch of people in the stands to watch it. So ironically, rather than kind of become more staid and, and uh, more educational, uh, uh, this is going to become uh, more professional and more dramatic and therefore will have all the uh, brand uh, influences and will have all the, the uh, corruption, if you want to call it that, of the myths about, uh, about the sports. Uh, locally on Gator softball, as I said, uh, with the Gator team won the regionals. They were gone. And uh, we'll see how far they go. They are playing pretty well in that the way they run the bases and the way they their team speed and um, adequate hitting, um, but the, a little bit shaky on the pitching. And what uh, I think Walden has begun doing is pitching his uh, pitchers maybe three or four innings and getting them out. Um, most of them can do three or four innings pretty well, but then they, some reason, uh, start doing less well. And so he's learned that, I think. I've been watching them in person. I like the sport. Um, but nevertheless, if you could ever find a single pitcher who could carry you all the way, you'd prefer that. But I got to tell you, there's a lot of parity in these softball teams now. There are a lot of very good female athletes playing this game. And you hope that this darn collective madness uh, uh, doesn't siphon off a lot of the support that these girls deserve. There's some concern about that, that lady sports will take the back, back seat once again after all the things that we did through Title IX and all that to try to bring them into a level playing field. There's some concern of that uh, uh, this would be uh, detrimental to their interests. And uh, that's a hope that doesn't happen. Um, but, you know, it's just, uh, I, I just, you know, but you know, the football is a big dog on the block. Um, the other sports, even the baseball, which sits in a $65 million uh, debt-free stadium over there, uh, can't really compete with the football. So uh, we'll see how it goes, but I thought that'd be uh, interesting for you in Coach Hogg's locker room here. Uh, we'll watch it unfold. Uh, we'll see how it goes. But my particular approach to it was uh, I had brought back memories of bouncing Beulah and going with my father to see uh, Don Eagle and the guys wrestle. And Don Eagle was one of the good guys. And, of course, he'd get cheated once in a while. And Bouncing Beulah would come up and, and wrangle about that and pound on the mat. I can still see her. She was hilarious. And um, she was probably all part of the prop. But it didn't matter. It worked. We went and we enjoyed it and we laughed and we had fun. We'll be right back on the Ward Scott Files in just a moment as soon as we take our bottom of the hour break. This is Ward Scott. And I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files gold sponsors are Maurice T. McDaniel, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, R&R Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.awardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page, or call my friend, Freddie, at 352-284-3733. 
Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All bees poop. A warthog. He's gonna come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! had the biggest mouth around she thought she was the smartest rep in heels well she started up a non-profit and somehow made money off it and got involved in quite some dirty deals she's in the jailhouse now she's in the jailhouse now that's not the way a charity runs She won't be having fun She's in the jailhouse now I let you Don't put me in the slammer I only did what all the others do I thought my donors were trickable But the judge said that's despicable And then away the key he threw She's in the jailhouse now She's in the jailhouse now they locked the cell on poor Corinne This one she'll never win She's in the jailhouse now I let you Welcome back to Ward Scott Files. I want to tell you uh, for a moment there that uh, once uh, Facebook hears that, they remove about 20 seconds of it. They claim old Jonathan stole some rhythm or something from something else without asking something else. So anyway, you got to hear it live and um, that'll be okay. I don't know what happens after their little algorithm up in Facebook land and Facebook um, 
Politburo there decides uh, some no-no went on, but it was an original. We've never had that happen by them before Facebook, but so what? Who knows how they think? Um, <clears throat> got to talk a little bit about Corrine Brown. That's why we played it. Um, not so much because of what she's done, because that's pretty, pretty obvious, but because of the reaction of the, uh, the city fathers and mothers. And, you know, I got to tell you that um, uh, crime pays. Don't you think crime pays? Um, I don't know how else you, how else you, did, you would, you would um, look at this. If you had a child and you were teaching them right from wrong, and the, and the name of the show today is In Search of Moral Authority, uh, you certainly wouldn't look, uh, for example, to, uh, to uh, Cynthia Chestnut. Cynthia Chestnut's own son, Christopher Chestnut, is permanently, not just temporarily, but permanently disbarred. Can never, ever practice law because of moral, dubious behavior that became so clear-cut. And lawyers are pretty much tolerate anything out of each other. Um, they're a little cult-like group of people. Um, they all kind of sing to the same dance and listen to the same drummer and go by the same rules and learn how to bend them and kind of fudge on them and all this other business. And, and use them uh, to um, less than honorable means, but that's all part of their profession. They learn how to do it. It's called gamesmanship. If what the lawyers do in what I'm about to talk about uh, were to be done in tennis, we would code the player. In other words, we did it already to Djokovic. Djokovic, who is right now, I think, the number one player in the world, <clears throat> would bounce the ball and bounce the ball and bounce the ball, and bounce the ball in preparation for serving the ball. Well, in the rules, there is a rule that says you must serve when the receiver of the serve is ready to receive the serve. Within 30 seconds thereafter, I think is the time. It's been a while since I looked at the book. Well, so here's the guy over there ready for the, to receive the serve. And how long can you be in a ready position? Uh, you know, you're just not going to stand in a ready position forever without having to stand up and readjust and get ready again. And Djokovic learned this. He learned uh, that if I bounce the ball, it's really... So after a while, we determined that that was gamesmanship. Uh, using the rules and bending the rules to really delay the game and by delaying the game, show bad sportsmanship and not uh, uh, as an attempt to get the winning advantage on your side of the net. And so we now have a clock that's rigidly uh, supported and visual to the people in the stands that counts down how much time or how, in Djokovic's case, how long he can bounce the ball. Now, in the case of Nadal, he has this routine of fidgeting he goes through was absolutely the same every time. It's formulaic. He has, a, he has to part his hair. He has to wipe the sweat. He has to pick the pants by the crotch of his butt. He has to do all these things. And then he has to bounce the ball. And then he has to go back and sort of start it over again. Well, he too was running over the time limit. And the players were complaining that this guy, both these guys go back and forth and battling for number one. And of all people, you would think the number one guy would be the number one example of good sportsmanship. Really? Where did you ever get that idea? That's exactly the opposite. The number one guy is the number one guy because 
he has found a way to use the rules to his advantage and he'll keep doing it until somebody makes him stop it. And so finally, collectively, the players said to the rule people, make them stop it. <clears throat> and so now we've got a clock that hopefully is enforced or by golly, the players will go to the chair umpire and say, what the heck are you doing? You know, so um, that's that's sort of the case we've got here with Corrine Brown. You know, the ends justify the means to this city commission. Uh, we don't care what kind of moral example she sets for the children in school. Um, you know, we just got the we got the benefits of her her uh, peddling her influence. And and, and therefore, we don't want to put her down for being a crook. And banana pudding in the, in the article I read claims that, oh, well, you know, she may get on appeal. She's not getting out on appeal. She just ponied up an honest answer for once in her life and said she was guilty. And the reason she said it is she wants that be paid forever by the government that she cheated. So the government's going to pay her 62 grand or so a year. And um, they're going to she's going, not going to go back to the jug. Well, you know, she's still the cheater. But, you know, her cheating got us benefits. So do we really want to clamp down on the rules of the game? I mean, after all, if you were a Djokovic fan or a, a, a Nadal fan and they, you didn't mind the number of times they fidgeted or bounced the ball because your guy was, was winning and therefore you, you didn't care. It took somebody else to bring in a code of ethics here to make them adhere to it. So God forbid this sleazy city commission of Gainesville would ever put down a code of ethics. They don't have any code of ethics among themselves. They don't have any code of ethics in the finance department. They can't figure out where the money came from or going or who had his hands on it. They don't even have any records of it. They can't even call an outside accounting firm in here to try to figure it out because there's nothing to figure out with. That's how bad they are. And this bunch of jokers is going to sit over there and say, oh, well, and three-lane Harvey, what a, you know, come on, man. What, is, what a goofball that is. You know, and they're just, it's, that's a, it's a real sleazy bunch of people. And it's out in the open now. And by the way, why would anybody ever serve on an advisory committee to the Gainesville City Commission? The, the Regional Transit System Advisory Committee has, you, has voted unanimously not once, but at least twice. And it's a diverse committee, by the way. That committee has diversity and inclusion on it. And they voted twice unanimously and recommended to the city that the sign near her name come down. And do you think the boy named Lauren and all these other incompetent, sleazy people care? No, they're pandering. They're pandering to the criminal element. And for them to let that Cynthia Chestnut lead them around on this when her own son has been kicked out permanently of the private club known as the lawyers in the bar, uh, man, you've got a problem. And I know a man who sat on the jury for that decision, so to speak, uh, the board that made the decision. And I asked him about this thing with Christopher Chestnut. Was there any hope for him to ever be resurrected? And the gentleman said, absolutely not. His transgressions are so bad that nobody will ever listen to anything he has to say again, no matter how many ways he has of weaseling and, and, and changing uh, the description of what he 
supposedly did. Now, this is her son. Now, does it therefore bother you at all if she's also making excuses for Corrine Brown? How do you think little Christopher got to be the way he was? Could it have possibly been his mother making excuses for him? I mean, I just asked the question. I don't know. You tell me. <clears throat> I mean, that's the, that's the that facts of the matter. And so now we've got this woman, Corrine Brown. Every time you hear her name, you're going to think criminal. And every time you see the name on the regional transit system, you're going to think the city is criminal. And you're going to think that it has political bias. And it does have political bias. There is the smoking gun. There is the political bias under your nose, out in plain sight. They couldn't make a better marquee for it to be tried. This is the Gainesville City Commission at its best in search of moral authority. Can you pray tell, tell me where you're going to find it? I mean, they robbed from GRU and they, uh, uh, you know, they'd make that bad decisions uh, uh, about what they're going to support for businesses in East Gainesville. They belly up. Um, uh, they can't find uh, the, the documents to figure out where, they, where the money fell through the cracks. I don't know. For example, I, what does Tony Jones do? Does anybody know? <clears throat> I mean, I don't know. I mean, does he do something? I mean, is he getting paid? Is he getting paid six figures? Uh, is it necessary? I mean, where's the, where is the moral authority in the city of Gainesville? Does it's not, you know, I can't find it. Does somebody have a suggestion where the moral authority in the city of Gainesville might be? I mean, I'm, I'm looking here at the Facebook chat line. I don't see any of you who has got a clue. Um, I can't find it. Uh, even poor old Lonnie Scott has gone down there and said to the uh, commission, hey, you can't ask me to fight crime with nothing to fight with. And so because they've got this communist uh, uh, Cuban on there, uh, who really is angry about militarized police. Uh, she's one who publicly has said she wanted to do with the military with the helicopter uh, and all this business. So he goes down there and says, how in the world do you expect me to do anything about crime downtown when you don't give me anything to fight it with? And they don't have a clue what's going on. Meanwhile, they got crime running crazy. Decent people won't go downtown anymore because they don't want to go down and have to deal with this lawlessness and this potential danger. They don't want to park in a parking garage and go to the play. It's unfortunate. Hippodrome's a great organization. But we'll go somewhere else to a, play, to a playhouse. We don't need to go there. Um, it's too dangerous. And I, for the life of me, I don't know why they're building hotels downtown. Um, I guess some people want to be downtown. But uh, it, it just it, it befuddles me. Uh, until, they, until they clean up their act. But they have no intention of cleaning up their act. If they had a contention of cleaning up their act, they, this is a perfect moment to do it. This is a perfect stand to take publicly. Uh, we are feel uh, it's unfortunate that Corrine Brown, you know, uh, chose this lifestyle. Uh, we appreciate the fact that, uh, but see what they're really supporting is that her wheeling and weaseling and all that business benefited the city. So that's all they care about. <clears throat> they don't care about whether it was an upstanding. And you ask yourself, 
I get asked this question all the time. Where are the states people? Where are the statesmen? There aren't any. There are no statesmen, stateswomen. I, don't, I can't, I think, don't say that P. Green underhand. I can't think of anybody right off the top of my head, particularly on that county commission, particularly on that city commission, who has any kind of moral authority, whose word is good, whose uh, intentions are honorable, who is selfless rather than selfish, who is not uh, uh, pushed around by party politics. Find me one. Find me one. I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know where they are. And now, you know, how low can you go? Uh, Bowtie Poe, the boy named Lauren, he is uh, just about uh, antithetical to moral authority. Uh, it, it's, it's an amazing collection of misfits. I, I don't know what else to tell you, but it is, it is really, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's nuts. And, and, and it's, going to, it's not going to get any better. <laughs> Excuse me. It's not going to get any better. So we'll see what happens in the fall. Unfortunately, Chestnut's up, not up for election. Boy, that was a that was a duty. Her getting her back on, you know. But you can see you can see what she's all about. You can see what she's all about. I'm going to go over and give you an update on the Drotos versus uh, Cornell deposition. There's a lot of uh, misunderstanding out there. There was an article in the paper about yours truly. And um, I just want to set the record straight because there is a 106-page um, presentation. It is the plaintiff's response in opposition to the Boss Hart's uh, motion for protective order sanction clarification that uh, has gone to the judge. And uh, here is what I think is interesting to know. Zoom has changed uh, the way in which meetings are held. It's, it's, and there's no precedent for it in the uh, legal world. Um, now, if, if you have a <clears throat> deposition given by Zoom, Zoom is the room, okay? And anybody has access to the room who has the Zoom link. So you don't need to go down and knock on a door at a lawyer's office or a, a court transcriber and say, may I come in? You just check in on the Zoom because the Zoom is the room. Now, I think everybody's told me that I have set precedent and it's going to have to be looked at by the court to see uh, how this will shake out. Because when uh, I'm assuming you know something about this case, uh, when uh, Cornell uh, lawyer wanted me excluded, um, the research done by the plaintiff's lawyer has an interesting finding that the judge will rule on, of course. Um, if, you want to, if they wanted to exclude me from the room, which is the Zoom room, they needed to file a, uh, uh, a, uh, with the court uh, a request uh, for uh, um, um, a protective uh, order to protect their client from me, okay? That's basically what it comes down to. Can Cornell 
wants to be protected from me. Now, once you get your head wrapped around that, you know, it's, 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 it's just nuts. I mean, here you got Corrine Brown, who admitted she cheated and lied and broke the law. And her and the commission says, oh, well, we don't care. Here you have a county commissioner who's a public figure who is afraid of me. Huh? And so when they saw I was in the room, the Zoom room, that his his attorney said, well, we can't proceed until this gentleman leaves. Well, I answered, I will leave when the court tells me to leave because neither lawyer has any control over me. I'm the public. In this case, I'm actually the news. And they, I'm referred to as such. So you can't just, either one of you ask me to leave because each of you would have your interests. Only the court can ask me to leave. Well, they couldn't, they, they finally realized that and couldn't get the court on the phone. So if they had filed, if they had filed a protective order against me, prohibiting me from attending the deposition in the room, the Zoom room, they would have had to file it ahead of the, de ahead of the deposition. But you see, they never thought of that. They never realized this, that the, the room, the Zoom is the room. They never realized this because there is no constitutional uh, prohibition against the public's or the press's attendance at a discovery deposition. There is also no right for a member of the public or press to attend a deposition, but likewise, there is no constitutional prohibition against it. This is case law, both Florida and federal, and it's very clear on this, but you could get me excluded if ahead of time you knew I might come. And then you could ask the court, but the court, you would have to give the court, there are two conditions, you would have to ask the court, and both of them would have to be there. Uh, you would have to, of course, file it before I, the meeting. And secondly, you would have to demonstrate good cause for me not coming. Now that gets sticky. What is the reason why you don't want Ward Scott watching the deposing of Ken Cornell? What is the, re what is the real reason? And it better be good. Well, the Cornell lawyer, who did never file this paperwork, realizes he starts scrambling and he says, oh, and he didn't know me. So Cornell had to have told him, oh, this guy's made fun of me. And he said things about me and, and all this stuff. And, 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 and isn't that, so that's good cause. I don't think that's good cause when you are a pub, especially when you are a public county commissioner. Now we're not dealing with some uh, family situation uh, you know, in uh, private family matters or anything like that. We're dealing with public figures here and the public has a right to know. So this is going to be um, uh, really interesting to 
um, see how it unfolds. The, the uh, court will rule on it, I think, by uh, Thursday, and uh, we'll find out um, um, it, it, what, what this new world of Zoom means to legal proceedings. Um, now, to follow up on that, there was also to be a deposition of Autumn Doughton. Autumn Doughton is um, related to Jim Doughton, who used to be the publisher of the Gainesville Sun. Nice lady, um, very, 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 you know, wonderful person. But for some reason, the lawyer, she works for Balsart, for some reason, the attorneys didn't want her deposed and one only can conclude for fear that Ward Scott would show up. I didn't even, I had no interest in watching Autumn Doughton uh, be deposed. I mean, I didn't even try to show up. And lo and behold, when that deposition was scheduled and I didn't show up and they saw it, they didn't show up either. The lawyer didn't let Autumn Doughton show up. <clears throat> Now, if they had wanted Ward Scott to be excluded from the deposing of Autumn Doughton, they would have once again had to have filed ahead of the deposition a request for a protective order showing good cause why I should be excluded. And it better be good cause. But they didn't even bother to do that. And just the possibility that I would show up, they wouldn't let her show up. Well, you know, I don't. It doesn't matter to me. Uh, I'm, uh, you know, like I say, it doesn't matter to me. I, I really don't, you know, Ken Cornell's Ken Cornell. I like Ken Cornell. I think, you know, I just know what he is and what he's like and everything. And I'm, I, you know, I, heck, you know, he was always wonderful to my mother. Um, you know, he's one of us in this community. But we're talking about something else here now. We're talking about a civil matter becoming a criminal matter. And the community is awfully interested in this. How come the SWAT team was sent to a real estate office? And in this, in, in this uh, proposal here to the court, you'll see that the plaintiff's attorneys allege uh, that the, uh, the, the uh, false information was given to the police, that the police acted on false information. I don't know the truth of that. I don't, I don't know. I'm not, but I do think that we should be able to know we should be able to find out. And all I'm doing as a member of the press, which they call me in the in the uh, in the uh, in the in the uh, Zoom meeting, uh, not only am I Ward Scott, I'm also Ward Scott, who has this show. And this show scares them because this show, a lot of people listen to it. A lot of people pay attention to what I say. And I'm very careful to say only those things which are can be documented and which are measured. And in this case, um, up to interpretation. It is still up to the court's interpretation as to whether or not um, a member of the public, and there's no thing saying a, uh, that, that prohibits a member of the public, and there's nothing that says uh, 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 you, you should let a public. So it's all, it's all in a gray area. But what is clear is that Zoom has changed it all because Zoom is the room. And see, the problem they have if they would, wanted to put the Zoom link just out to the lawyers, okay? Let's say I'm the lawyer for Cornell and you, the listener here, is a lawyer for Grotos and we shared the Zoom link privately. That would be a no-no because this is a public uh, he hearing. 
It's a public hearing. It is so advertised. You can pull it right off of the, uh, you know, it's a public document. And the Zoom link is a public document. So it's, um, it's most interesting. And uh, uh, I have been called to see, see, I've been called a lot of different things. And the other day, someone asked me if I ever got mad at any, anything anybody ever called me. I think the only thing that's sort of, uh, I think is unfair that people use is uh, these people, and it's always the blacks doing it, calling people racist when they're actually the racists. Uh, I think that's kind of sick and unfortunate, and I think it's stupid. Uh, but, but uh, you know, that's the card they play. Um, and sometimes the woke white chime in with them. But other than that, <clears throat> you can call me anything you want to call me. It doesn't, I'll answer to anything. Uh, I, don't, I don't think that um, these people ought to be slinging the racist card around. Uh, I probably am an elitist. I, I do believe in hanging out with smart people. Uh, I do believe in putting high demands, high standards on myself. And uh, knowing what I'm talking about before I talk about it as best I can. And if I don't know it, then asking for help about it. So um, it's, it's just the way the show is conducted. But I want you to know that this show scares uh, uh, these people in the court proceedings. Um, they, they don't want me to evidently uh, listen. All I'm doing is listening. I'm not, I'm not doing else but that. Um, and Tim Martin says I'm, a, I'm threatening uh, just by... Being there, Tim also checked in about uh, 10, 15 minutes after I did. And uh, Tim talked to him. I didn't talk to him. I, I wouldn't talk to him. I, I, they don't have any right to talk to me. If I'm sitting out in the audience, okay, let's look at it this way. We're in a room, an actual room, and I'm sitting out in the audience. And all of a sudden, the, the lawyer for Cornell looks out and sees me in the audience. and says, oh, my God, there's Scott. Throw him out. Well, you know. I've been thrown out of a lot of places, by the way. Uh, when uh, James Bozeman and I were on the air together, we used to have a joke that he was thrown out of a bar in, in uh, Tijuana, Mexico, and landed on Telephone Pole Road in Houston, Texas. Um, you know, so, but, but <laughs> we had that joke on the air. I thought it was hilarious. He landed on Telephone Pole Road. I just like the name of Telephone Pole Road. But, uh, uh, you know, you just can't. And by the way, you just can't arbitrarily. You have to have good. Cause. What do you? Why do you want to throw Scott out of here? Well, I, I'll, I'll come up with a. I'll come up with a reason. So they got to come up with it, and they got to say it before I'm ever allowed in the room. You understand that? Once I'm in the room, you can't throw me out if I'm not disruptive. Okay. And I didn't say a word to anybody. I mean, nothing until I finally said when they asked me if I would leave. I said I will obey the order of the court. Well, if the court says I can't go, then I won't go. But I'm not going to take the lawyer's word because they're not the court. You understand the difference here, my friends? So uh, they can file a protective order, but they have to do it. I know that uh, I've already heard from uh, a friend who has uh, uh, knows a lawyer. I'm not going to get too close to this because, um, you know, you people know people who's all screwed up on this and who, by the way, personally doesn't like me and says, what was Scott doing watching the deposition anyway? Well, that lawyer doesn't know, you know, his A from a hole in the ground. He doesn't know the law. He doesn't know the law. And why is he sounding off like that? You know, there's a lot of people like that. It's sad when the lawyers are like that. <clears throat> you know, there's good lawyers and there's bad lawyers. There's good teachers and there's bad teachers. There's good quarterbacks, there's bad quarterbacks. 
You know, good parents or bad parents or good commissions or bad commissions. And you just try to do. So I've been searching for moral authority quite a while. I hope you have a great day. Warthog Command Center out.